Well, here we are, episode five of the Green Circle podcast, and thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate you being here. For those of you who have turned into past episodes, uh, you know me. My name is Scott Ledden, and I will be your host. And you will also notice something that is radically different in this episode from our past episodes, and that is that we are live in person with live in-person guests. So thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate you being here. We're hosting the show today at the uh, beautiful Knoll Furniture Showroom. Uh, the space is special to me as it was uh, built by Greenford, I think about a decade ago now, and it's the uh, first LEED Platinum project that we did, and it was the third in, Can third in Canada at the time and first in Toronto, and it still looks as great today as it did uh, 10 years ago, so thank you so much for having us. And I do want to mention that uh, we are uh, following COVID-19 policy. Uh, we were temperature screened to get in here with uh, forms signed and uh, maintained our masks until we could maintain our social distancing. So. Uh, we're being safe and we are adhering to protocols. Today I'm joined by Jillian Warren, Director of Workplace at Figure 3. Welcome. Thank you. And uh, Tara Whittington, Architecture and Design Manager and Workplace Leader here at Knoll. Really appreciate your time and once again, uh, thanks for having us. Today we are going to be discussing what the new design for net new customers looks like from a design and furnished perspective. So not retrofitting existing spaces, but you know, let's just say 12 months from now, uh, things are, you know, maybe COVID's behind us, maybe it's not, but just kind of looking at what the new reality is. So, Jillian, if we start with you, and we imagine that a client has come to you and they've secured 20,000 square feet of office space, and you start working with them right from the strategy point of view, what are some of the things that you're looking at and considering nowadays? Yeah, thank you. The, um, it's critical to all of our clients at this point to get a handle on their mobility and the change in mobility over the last little while. Um, those policies are really going to affect the amount of real estate space and how it's used. And I think that is something that's going to take a little bit of time to, to truly understand. Um, we know we can work from home, but we also know it's not always optimal. Um, and I think what we're going to be needing to do now is take a real nuanced approach to understanding that. So what's the type of work that you're involved with? Where are you in your career? Are you more junior? Do you need more mentoring and support? Um, what's your personality? Um, really, what is your, your home situation? And, and how apt are you to be able to work from home? And then all of that, we're going to have to start paralleling and, and playing into um, a real estate strategy or um, new planning strategy uh, for our clients. And one of the tools that we found is really useful in doing that is uh, more of an experience mapping. So away from traditional programming where it's just bums and seats, mm -hmm. this is um, going more towards an experience of of who's going to be there, when are they going to be in the office, and for what purpose. And then it's really customizing the types of spaces that everyone is going to need to be able to do their optimal work. But I think overall, it's going to change the, the landscape of the office yeah. in, in, to a great degree, from individual spaces to much more community spaces. And then the purpose of the office becomes one that really builds on culture and community and learning. And. I agree with all that you're saying, and I just wonder, I know that, well, I don't know, but I've heard that, you know, traditionally designers would, you know, do some surveys of their customers and, and understand um, how, how they work, but it yeah. sounds to me like that's going to be much more in-depth, and we'll probably touch on much more, uh, m many more people within the client industry. I mean, how do you plan on gathering all that information, understanding, you know, 
who, how people work, who they work with. Is that, is that with an HR person? Is it with senior leadership? Is it with everybody? How do you plan on oh, gathering yeah. that information? I really believe that um, HR role is going to be taking <coughs> up a huge amount more space than it did before. Um, but yeah, we always did uh, that research and those surveys and those interviews. Now I think it's just a deeper degree, a deeper dive. Um, it's not one size fits all for every client. It's so nuanced. And I don't even think you could compare maybe the law industry as being as one different or one separate uh, methodology for planning. It's, mm -hmm. it's, there's different types of law that people are practicing, different appetites towards working from home, and then, you know, how conservative they are as a practice and how it will move forward in, into their planning is yet to be determined. But it, it's definitely going to tax the designer. Absolutely. And Tara, from the furniture manufacturer's point of view, how are you seeing this new reality? What, what are you kind of changes or, um, you know, this flexibility, mobility, the type of trends we're seeing, how is it affecting your industry? Um, so we're really lucky that despite all the changes that are happening, we're not necessarily designing new products. We are just adapting the application of our existing products and enhancing them by adding things like screens <coughs> for the short term to provide separation for employees. but. But really, it's, it's this new way, new methodology of planning and how we're going to see um, people in the workplace. So to Jillian's point, people want to come back to the office sometimes. Some people are happy to work from home. And where are you most productive? Mm -hmm. So I think it's going to be really task-based on how we come back in. And then that's going to shape the landscape of the office. Because if I'm at home doing my expenses and I'm in for collaboration sessions, I don't need a dedicated desk. I really need different types of meeting spaces. So I think we're going to see a shift in the landscape. And so how do a furniture manufacturer and a designer work together to make sure that, you know, what you're planning and putting on paper dovetails with what exists as furniture to optimize this new reality? Is there going to be more interaction between your groups? I mean, this yeah. is just something, I mean, I, I hope so. <laughs> I mean, here we are at the furniture showroom. So I guess uh, I assume mm -hmm. the process used to be you'd come in and see what's available and you go, okay, this is available. I like it. So I'm going to design that in. Yeah. But now it seems like it might be somewhat reversed in that they say you might find that this is what we need. And do you guys have something or can you start talking about making this or reconfiguring or I, I don't know. You've talked to so many people about you know, the trend used to be densification, densification, make mm. everything smaller and tighter and everything else. Now, mm. that might go backwards, it might be spread everybody out, you know, undensify. So your furniture standards may change, I don't know, or you might just reconfigure or, you know, how, how is this, how do you see this relationship working between furniture manufacturers and design? I've always felt that we come to you with um, an understanding of the behaviors that our clients are, are wanting to undertake. Um, and you guys always come up with solutions. Uh, and I think it'll just get a little bit more of that engagement. Yeah. Collaborative, um, really. Very between. collaborative. And then, um, because we're all on the same page with COVID and understanding um, what you need today, um, at least until we have a, a vaccine and we move into a new normal, a lot of what the manufacturers are doing is, is bang on with you know creating uh, purposeful separations and, and um, collaboration zones that naturally separate people in the right to the right degree. Mm -hmm. Whether or not those will continue in the future after we get back to a new normal, who knows? But um, it's always been a very collaborative um, conversation between manufacturer and designer. Nice. Well, you talk about collaboration, and I think that's something else I want to touch on. Is that again, from my perspective, it seemed like. W 
you know, the trend was at one point when technology existed and first came out to send everybody home and say, oh, you can work from home. And then they realized, well, now the culture's gone, there's no collaboration, so bring everybody back. And the designers seem to say, okay, let's, let's design opportunities for people to bump into each other in the office, exchange ideas, brainstorming, impromptu mm -hmm. meetings at the water cooler, you'd hear about all that all the time. Now those, now those meetings are, are dangerous, potentially, so we're trying not to, but the collaboration still needs to happen. So it seems to me there's gonna be a challenge for, for design and furniture and just people in the office to go, how do we optimize the collaboration mm -hmm. um, and minimize the risk? And I think you used the term purposeful collaboration, right. I think is what you said. Y yeah. In, yeah. in other words, you're gonna, do you think that you're gonna be designing to specifically have people bump into a fewer number of people because that's who they really need to bump into? Or how I do mean, you see that happening? Not necessarily. Uh, I guess, yes, in the, <laughs> in the short term, for sure, you're gonna have to control the number of people that are bumping <coughs> into each other. And I think we'll, we'll evolve with different ideas of, of how collaboration can take place in, in our offices as we start to roll back in. Mm -hmm. um, but in the longer term, you know, if we go back to the necessity of building community through your offices and even supporting a more virtual workforce through building a culture that will support it. And we talked um, a little bit about the retail model and how a physical bricks and mortar store is really so important to the success of your online business. And I think we're gonna move towards understanding that. So really how we're building out our the brand and the, um, the culture in our offices is really gonna be able to make the virtual workforce more successful. So I think I heard what I heard you saying is the, the office will help form a form, it'll be a form of support for some people who are working at home. So they'll still have a touch point in the office, there'll still be a way to feel part of something, but you might not be at the office. And Tara, you said something at one point when we had a, a previous discussion about, it's not necessarily that 20% of the workforce is gonna work from home, but it might be 20% of the time people work from home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I understand, maybe you could elaborate I, on that point. And I mean, that's really based on my own personal <coughs> experience. I was in design for a number of years and I was in the office Monday to Friday, mm -hmm. nine to however late. And <laughs> there just inherently wasn't a lot of flexibility. When I moved into sales, they hand me a, a laptop and a phone and say, you know, work wherever. Right. And so like I Like Collingwood, for example. Sorry, yes, like yeah, I took that call in Collingwood because <laughs> um, we were lucky enough to have a place to stay up there for a couple of days. But I can work remotely, I can work anywhere, and I've been able to do that for a number of years. And that means that I'm in the office when I need to be, and I can work here and I can have meetings, but then I can also go and do a presentation at a firm like Figure 3 and then work in a coffee shop before I have another meeting. So just having that flexibility, and one thing I've tried to do is build in work from home days because I'm more productive for my heads down work, like expenses and updating my Salesforce activities, right. if I can just sit down and focus, because if I'm in the office with a bunch of other salespeople, we're a chatty group, we're very <laughs> co collaborative, yeah. uh, so I don't get that heads down focus work. So having the ability to choose where I work based on the task I have to do has been a huge benefit for me over the number of, uh, over the last number of years. Mm -hmm. So I think that we're gonna see that 
in a lot of organizations who have been more traditional around nine to five in the workplace. Like mm-hmm. you're not at, if you're not at work, you're not working. Right. This <clears throat> global experiment of work from home has proved that we can all be productive at home. It's not ideal for everybody. Like I'm working from home with my three year old right now, and <laughs> yeah. I am grateful for the days that I come into the showroom because it's just it's a little bit more calm, a little bit more quiet. But some people are really enjoying the that maybe more introverted or have a really great work from home setup and they're able to get more work done more productive and some of us find they like to be back in the space so having the choice as to where you work i think is going to be an outcome of this whole a very positive outcome yes but i think that goes back to your point of really understanding the different roles in an organization because some of them like you mentioned when you were in design you couldn't work from home and now you're in sales so is that a that's a role specific maybe, and traditionally it was. I would say if you're a salesperson, you're meeting people, they don't need to know you in the office, whereas if you're supposed to be in the office, you're in the office. I think now that has changed, and they're gonna start to say, as long as you're productive and doing what you're doing, we're okay with it. Mm -hmm. And I think they've realized, management that is, that most people want to be productive, they want to do their job, and they want to do it the best way that they can, and that might not necessarily be in the office. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's easy to talk about the negative repercussions of COVID, but I think some of the one of the positive repercussions could be we might actually get more productive. And you, you laid out some great examples. If you're, or if I'm responding to an RFP or stuff I can do from home, my home office, why would I drive for an hour to get to somewhere to set up to, you know, to work there when I could save an hour to and from work and, and be much more productive? So it's interesting to sort of see how that is, uh, how that is evolving over time. And <clears throat> I wonder if, and maybe you can elaborate, do you think there needs to be a shift in management to let that happen or do you think it's this COVID has sort of driven that point home that uh, you can trust people to work from home and they're going to do the best thing that they can for the company and know what they have to do? Yeah, from what I've been hearing from clients and even our own experiment, because we were those that group that was nine to five and yeah. or nine to whenever and <laughs> um, always Monday to Friday, uh, it definitely is moving towards a more flexible and um, trusting environment. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's just, it's more about now trying to understand who needs to be there and when to plan some sort of flexible environment that can accommodate everybody. In a showroom, you've got lots of extra space. Yes. In an office, you don't want to have a lot of extra space. <laughs> so. Yeah, and that comes back to something else is there's been a, you know, when you think about people working from home, you say, oh, um, we don't need as much space, maybe as an, as an organization. But then when you think about um, wanting to undensify, well, then you say, well, maybe we need as much space or maybe more space. And then you say, well, you know, some people are going to work from home some days. Um, and so, but, so how do you account for the fact that if you have 100 people, but you set up for 75, yeah. and if all 100 people come in, you're, in, you're stuck. So how, how does that work in terms of planning? Yeah, I mean, almost stage <coughs> one, trying to get people back who don't want to share a desk at all. Right. So that's, that's one complication. But I'm finding a lot of our clients, it's just you're hearing flexibility a lot. And the one-to-one ratio, whether it's a desk or a casual piece of furniture, somewhere that they can go. So if you end up with full staff complement, you you have a seat for everyone. Mm-hmm. That's the starting point. And then I think as this thing evolves and more people come back to the office, or as probably the mobility or working from home strategies get a little more developed, um, those spaces can change into something else that is more beneficial for the groups. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So you mentioned that the office has always been uh, a center for sort of culture, learning, and community, and I think that's really important. Obviously, in one of our previous podcasts, we talked about the notion of people working from home, 
I, I, a, I don't think people like it that much. A lot of people, I mean, here we are today in person because we really want to be, yeah. you know, and going, oh, it's nice to see people outside yeah. of your family. <laughs> Not to be rude to your family, but it's nice <laughs> to see other people. A lot of family. Uh, yeah, <laughs> a lot of family time. <laughs> um, but it's interesting that I don't think that's going to change. And I think, you know, some of our other guests, we talked about um, that the technology sector accounts for about 35% of Toronto's office space, and they actually have the ability to have most people work from home. And they've, some of them have even said, oh, we're happy to have our people work from home. It's just ironic that those technology companies are some of the people that have spent the most time, effort, and money designing offices that, that attempt to optimize and maximize employee engagement and the employee experience. So there's a real challenge there to go, hey, you need to have an office to bring your office staff together and capitalize on all those things. And I believe that's true, and we are experiencing that. I, I think that some of the people that have announced this permanent stay-at-home policy um, did it very early in, in, this, mm -hmm. in this process, yeah. and that might have been the right thought for them at the time, <coughs> and then we'll see as things evolve um, whether or not that does suit their business and, and their human needs to be together, because you're right. Human beings need each other, and working is a social game. <laughs> well, and the workplace has always been a tool for attraction and retention. So you take that away. Yeah. How are you compensating those employees if they don't yeah. have that human connection and that that um, culture around them? Because I think we've all experienced that collaboration works digitally, but not. it's just not the same. It's, it's really not the same as being in a room and having the conversation and working things out together. So um, I think those who have announced it early on may reconsider or they risk losing talent. I agree. And, and like we, you know, from our side of things, there's some really high profile jobs that came on. There was the LinkedIn's, there was Google, you know, there's some really yeah. important technology companies. And these people spent a lot of time and effort designing these places and these office spaces to attract and retain the best talent. And they they themselves know and they talk about it all the time. Uh, employee engagement, employee experience are huge metrics for their spaces. Y you can't get that from people working at home. And I think that the only thing that will matter at that point if they go that route is dollars and cents. Who's going to pay me more, right? There's no mm -hmm. collaboration. I, I mean, some of the places like Shopify's offices, for example, mm -hmm. I don't know if you've seen them, but they have everything in the office that yeah. you would need. So if you're a millennial and you have a small condo, stereotyping, of course, but you know, or live going, at home. Or, yeah, or live at home. Yeah, going to work. Children. Yeah, going to work is a great place. It's nice. You have fully catered meals. You have everything you need there, dry cleaning in some cases, your social aspect. So you want to go to work. Yeah. If you take all that away, you've lost that. And you go, yeah, no, no I, don't, I don't care where I work now as long as I get a paycheck and it's all the same. So it's interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how that evolves over time. Yeah, I mean, um, we've had a lot of involvement with companies that have already moved towards a very mobile strategy in their workforce, and I've seen it already. How, you know, as you say, the people that are in the smaller condos, they it, it's the four walls around them. They need to get out, and the workplace is is the best experience they can have to do their work. Um, we've already seen that, and we'll continue to see it. Yep. Well, and to Tara's point, I mean, Zoom has uh, obviously increased in popularity like crazy, but it's still not the same. No. You try your best, you end up talking over each other, you try to share your screen, you do whatever, but it's not the same as interacting personally. And I think there's a lot of, uh, everyone that I've talked to about, you know, do you think people go back to the office or not? Everyone, everyone wants to get back to the office. And I don't yeah. know if, you know, maybe they've forgotten what the traffic is like, and maybe, <laughs> <laughs> maybe they've forgotten that, but 
getting in, meeting with your colleagues, having a discussion face-to-face, -face, enjoying that time together. It, uh, it enables you to, uh, to work well together and to generate uh, you know, better solutions than I think you, you would in, in isolation. Mm -hmm. uh, any other last thoughts sort of as you consider you know, things that people should be thinking of uh, with respect to office design moving forward? You go first. Um, okay, actually, I do have something that kind of goes back to what we were talking about around smaller groups of people and how are you planning for that serendipitous touch points that mm. when we're trying to distance. And I think, you know, post-COVID or you know, a year from now, if we're looking at that, what we're talking about with our clients and customers is the idea of neighborhoods. Ah. And so you identify what teams work together and the types of work that they do, and they have sort of dedicated, focused, and collaborative spaces that only those teams are using with central hubs, like a cafe and bigger meeting spaces. and by using flexible and adaptable products that if you need to grow those teams or shrink those teams, it becomes easy to do so without having to necessarily replan the whole space. Mm -hmm. So that's just something that's pretty new for us. We had our Null Design Days, um, our version of Neocon. Uh, <laughs> since we left the Mart last year, we don't use the term Neocon anymore, but we, we've talked a lot about what does this new office landscape look like. And actually, Jillian and I had a really great conversation around what these changes are and how do you embrace sort of the digital, the physical oh, and digital. Like it. It's uh, like it. a term. Trademark? Our, yeah. Uh, you know what? Andrew Pogan, our CEO, used that on a podcast recently, so I've adopted it heard a couple times now. But, you know, how are we embracing that? So it, it it's an interesting challenge, I think, and every organization is going to embrace it in a different way, but we're all learning. So as long as we're open to change yeah. and select phys like I gotta give a little product plug but pick products that are flexible and adaptable then you're set you're laying a foundation to be able to adapt to change as it comes yeah. so just so I'm clear on what you said then and it goes back to what we talked about Jillian these is purpose purposeful collaboration is let's say you have a group of there's a marketing person a salesperson a finance person and a production person and a team and then you might say and you guys will talk to you know, one IT person, if you have an IT issue, and that, then those people would collaborate. So that, that team, you, you're getting the interdisciplinary collaboration, the benefit of talking to people in other departments, but you're sticking to that, that group rather than, you know, a different salesperson, different marketing person, different IT person, because, you know, that will obviously increase your numbers. Is that, mm -hmm. is that sort of what you're saying in terms of your networks? I think so. I think it's so, <clears throat> like, specific to the organization, but... I worked at a company before where we had interior design and graphic design and marketing and so we were working on really large engagements where we were all in one team so we sort of had one dedicated war room where we would go and collaborate for days at a time and I think we're just gonna see more of that and to your point I do think that once you sort of find a team that works maybe they will work on multiple engagements together so that at least in the short term, you're always with that same group of people. I mean, Julian, you guys are sort of set up the same way, right, at Figure yeah. 3? I'm thinking about, um, in the tech industry too, agile teams uh, work that way and have worked that way. You know, mm -hmm. it's a very mm -hmm. focused effort on a project and mm -hmm. it's a small group and it's, it's very fast-paced and it's very collaborative and it works because there's an ideal number for those teams because of the work. So it really depends entire, entirely on what types of projects that you're involved with, um, how big or small the teams will become. I think there's always going to be a need to see everybody and I don't know if you guys have been doing staff meetings, like big staff meetings on Zoom. But it's a <laughs> multiple weeks. <laughs> he's been the whole time just like checking in with people's faces and yeah. you know, 
when we're all together, um, it's just going to be great. And I'm, I'm really overall so optimistic about the future. I think that this um, pandemic has been horrible, but in, if it moves things forward into a place where we're all trying to get to for a while now, um, I think it, it could be a really great outcome for, for design uh, of workplace and definitely will challenge the furniture manufacturers to come up with some really, really great solutions. Fabulous. Well, I think that's a great place to wrap it up. And just to summarize, the office is still the center for uh, culture, learning, and community. I don't think that's going to change. Um, to your point, I think COVID has obviously been a terrible situation, but there are some positives that can come out of it. And if we're smart and if we're optimistic, I think that we can um, actually become more productive and more efficient uh, while maintaining the best parts of the office work. So I want to thank you both very much for joining us. Really appreciate the first live version of the uh, Green Circle podcast. Thank you so much and really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks for having us and thanks for coming to the showroom. My pleasure. Thank you. So nice to be in front of people. <laughs>